All right. For the rest of us, let's take out our Bibles and turn to two places, if you would. Matthew 26 and Isaiah 53. Matthew 26 and Isaiah 53. Now, if you're just joining us this morning, just by way of reminder for those who have been here, we're walking through Matthew's Gospel and kind of taking a big picture perspective. And a couple of weeks ago, we started this one section in Matthew's Gospel of chapters 26 and 27. This is the sufferings of Jesus. This is His official sufferings for us. Uh, in the night of his betrayal and arrest and, and the trials and then the crucifixion. And we'll finish this section up this week. Uh, I have one more uh, perspective that I want to take on the sufferings of Christ. And in order to do that, let's actually read this morning Isaiah 53. which describe for us the various kinds of suffering that Jesus endured. So let's just read beginning verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's just pause now before we dive in and ask God's blessing upon our study this morning. God, we come before you, we're dependent upon you now to um, really apply the truth that we'll learn about in Jesus' sufferings to our own heart. We know that it is the Spirit's desire to glorify him in our hearts and minds, and we pray that that would be the case this morning. I pray that every mind would get uh, focused on Jesus and see him 
uh, for who he is and what he has done. And may our hearts rejoice in it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me now. We believe that all teaching and preaching that is profitable must be must come from the Spirit of God and be accompanied by His power. And so I pray for the gifting now to do what you've called me to do for the glory of your name and the good of your people. And so I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our study in Matthew's Gospel, which is very quickly coming to a conclusion now, after this morning we'll be in the last chapter or one, perhaps two weeks there, and then that'll be it. And we've been taking kind of a bird's eye view through most of it, uh, trying to become better readers of this gospel, knowing that we're supposed to spend, the most time we spend in the word, uh, word is supposed to not just be on Sunday mornings, but through the week. As you open up your Bible on a daily basis and you uh, fellowship with God and you read the Bible, and we want to be good readers of our Bibles. And so that's the goal of this, kind of seeing it all from this big picture perspective. And when it came to the sufferings of Christ on the cross, we've seen that we need to view those personally. And remember what I meant by that, really two things, two aspects. The first is that we have to understand that when Christ went to the cross, he knew who his people were. He said, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, my own know me, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The idea of this, it was very personal to Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins, and that's what he did through the cross. This was a very personal thing uh, towards you with Jesus when he suffered. So that we need to look at it in a personal way. We need to see Jesus as dying for us. That's actually what saving faith is. When you can finally look at Jesus dying on the cross and say, He was dying for my sins. That's really saving personal faith. We need to read it that way. And then last week we said we need to read this theologically. We need to understand what was happening to Jesus past the suffering that we could see. What was going on between God and Jesus that was saving us from our sins? And we said that the cross was a a penalty being paid. That was the necessity of it being Roman crucifixion, very public. It was a penalty for criminals. Of course, Jesus wasn't a criminal. We were the criminals, And just like Barabbas, uh, Jesus went in our place. The guilty one condemned and the, the, or the guilty one goes free and the innocent one is condemned for us. Just as we read in Isaiah chapter 53. We need to understand then he was there in our place paying the price we deserved for our sins to give us forgiveness and eternal life so that we are never punished for our sins. There is no condemnation now to those who are in Christ. It is not a possibility because Jesus bore our condemnation. Now this week, I wanted to look at it from this perspective. When you're reading these, let's read them experientially. What do I mean by that? As we read about the kinds of suffering Jesus experienced, We can see that he suffered and experienced all the different forms of human suffering there is to experience. All the major headings of suffering. And what the Bible does for us, friends, in a very practical way, is that when we are experiencing suffering ourselves, we can look to Jesus now, who knows what it's like to suffer, and we can 
get from him or receive from him grace and help through our suffering. When we realize that Jesus suffered in all the different kinds of human suffering there is, we can look to him and be encouraged by that. Jesus can say to you, I know exactly what it is that you're going through. I know what it feels like to experience human suffering. We can be encouraged by that and see in him an example of how we're supposed to suffer. That we are to suffer in a Christ-like way as he did. Do you know, well, you do know it if you come here because we've talked about it a lot, especially in Matthew's gospel, but the gospel of Matthew and the Bible itself prepares the people of God to suffer. There is no promise anywhere in the Bible or in the teaching of Jesus that just because you come to faith in Jesus, all your suffering is going to go away. But somehow if you just, you, you know, if you have Jesus, there'll be no suffering in your life. You'll always be healthy and you'll always have plenty of money to do whatever you want and uh, your career will always abound and your family will be perfect. That's not the promise in this world, is it? The Bible is always preparing us to suffer as Jesus suffered. In a unique way, Christians are to expect suffering. And we find encouragement and we find hope and we find help as we turn to the one who suffered before us and for us. He is the, the author of the Hebrews said, he is the pioneer of our faith. He went before us, blazing the trail of suffering. And so we follow him knowing he suffered as well and we find encouragement in that. You know, in Hebrews 2.18, because the author of Hebrews brought this out as he analyzed the different aspects of the suffering of Christ. And in chapter 2.18, I think I have a, a slide for that. He said, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because he himself has suffered, catch that, he is able to help those in their suffering. He has the ability to do it. We've got to stop stop thinking about Jesus as this kind of abstract personality of history that we read about on a page. And we have to understand that he's very present and real with us, able to help us. Chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, catch this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What an invitation. If you're suffering, you go to the throne of grace upon which Jesus rules and reigns now. And you approach it with confidence, expecting your sympathetic Savior to help you, to give you the strength and the wisdom or the courage or the help or the joy or the peace that you need to endure whatever His sovereignty has decided you're going to walk through. What a blessing. When you suffer... You need more than what anyone in this world can do for you. What you need is the presence and power of the resurrected Jesus. 
What you need in your suffering is mercy and grace and help and strength and encouragement from the one who suffered for you. Where do you turn in times of suffering? I want you to be thinking of that through this whole message. To whom do you turn? What do you do? You know what is a habit of many of us probably when we're experiencing any kind of suffering because we want relief? We turn to some of the easiest forms of relief, especially when we start dealing with emotional suffering, spiritual suffering. We turn to entertainment. Or we turn to some kind of distraction. Something really to take our minds off of things. Sometimes we turn to other people, and that can be helpful to a degree, to turn to others in your suffering. But friends, really what you need to do, first and foremost and throughout all your suffering, is being looking to Jesus. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced that part of God's plan in suffering in our lives, in the trials we experience, is to make sure we keep looking to Him. Because it is the nature of the temptation of good times, when you're not suffering much, to kind of take your mind off of Him. We need to keep looking to Jesus, the one who suffered and can help us in our suffering. And we see from him an example in how to suffer, right? 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. When you're suffering, friends, with whatever it is, however small or great, Be aware of the fact that Jesus suffered and has set you an example in that. How do I walk through this suffering? How do I endure this? Well, maybe we should look to Jesus and see how he suffered and follow in his steps. So what I want to do just for a few minutes is analyze the different aspects of suffering and try to find in them encouragement and example. Okay? Jesus may not have experienced every single expression of suffering you would experience, like Jesus never had cancer, as an example. But there are major headings of human suffering that are common to all, and Jesus suffered through them all. In other words, emotional suffering. Could we not say, just in what we've read in Isaiah 53 this morning, in Matthew 26 and 27, that Jesus suffered emotional suffering, right? Spiritual suffering, as we'll see Jesus on the cross enduring it. Trials and temptations from the devil himself suffering spiritually. Relational suffering, physical suffering, and even death. Jesus has experienced the full gamut of suffering, all the categories of human suffering. Jesus experienced them so that he is able to both sympathize with sufferers and he as God has the power to help you when you're suffering, you see. Isn't this a wonderful way God has designed things? And sending his son to become a man for us and to suffer for us so that even in our daily lives as we suffer, we can look to Him. Let's, let's exp- talk about some of these types of sufferings. First of all, that emotional suffering. Look at chapter 26 of Matthew's Gospel and verse 37 and 38. This is again turning back to that scene in the garden where Jesus is expressing such suffering 
And he says there in verse 37, taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be, catch these words, sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to him, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. Do you catch those words? Sorrowful. Or in verse 38, very sorrowful, just a strengthened form of that word. Word means severe mental or emotional distress in the form of sadness. Isaiah 53, as we read very clearly, Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's very familiar with it. It isn't something he's unfamiliar with. You know, we could even use the word, you know what you're picturing in Matthew 26 here? Jesus is beyond sorrowful, he is depressed. You ever felt depression? Some of you, I know, have dealt with in your life debilitating, soul-crushing depression. Jesus' was so overwhelming. In these moments, he said to the disciples, I feel like I could die. And that was not the hyperbole of a teenager, you know, who wants to do something they can't. They're telling, I just feel like I could die right now. This was real. Jesus knows what it is to feel the most extreme forms of sorrow and sadness and grief. He knows the feeling of grief so that you can turn to him when you are grieving. The word troubled here is, is interesting. He was anxious. Or we could use the word stressed. He was battling anxiety, which tells us not all forms of anxiety are sinful, by the way. I'm not talking about the worry work kind of anxiety that's just sinfully worried about everything and not trusting in God, but this was the kind of anxiety that knew the cross was ahead of him, knew the cup of God's wrath that he would have to drink. He was aware of it all and knew what was going to happen and felt the very natural human reaction. His soul was troubled. He knows what these things feel like. Sorrow, grief, depression, forms of anxiety. Friends, these are, these are very human reactions to living in a fallen world. And these are not always mental illness. Now, mental illness is a very real thing. It certainly is. But clearly, Jesus wasn't mentally ill. These are oftentimes the right response to a situation a person is feeling. You know, sometimes when I officiate memorial services, um, I always am leery of it becoming too much of a celebration. Now, I know what we do with memorial services. We call it a celebration of life, and I think there can be some good in that. What I'm saying is, though, if we bypass the natural human emotions of grief and try to wash them over with some kind of, you know, surface level uh, enjoyment of a, of a thing and just look at the bright side. Sometimes, friends, as is the occasion with yesterday's memorial service here in town, that young man who took his own life, there is no bright side to that. There's nothing good in what happened. Sorrow, depression, these kinds of emotional sufferings, friends. Jesus is very familiar with them and he didn't run from it. 
Do you know what he did? He turned to his father. That's the whole point of Matthew 26. He goes to his father and he pleads, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, though, and here's the prayer, not my will but thine be done because sometimes it is the will of God that we walk through suffering. I'm not a person who's unfamiliar with emotional suffering, both in family experience and where I grew with the family I grew up with and even in my own personal struggles. But once I caught on to the fact that these this depression, if I would be dealing with depression or anxiety or whatever it is, once I caught on these were forms of suffering, it took on a new meaning for me. This is suffering, and so all of the teaching of the Bible in and through suffering is, is applicable now all of a sudden to me. The fact that Jesus suffered and I can look to him, he'll help me through it even if he doesn't just snap his sovereign finger and make it go away. He will walk with me through it. And I can know that it's working good things in me. Like in Romans chapter 5, of course, where Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These are all forms of suffering. Jesus experienced them. And he experienced... uh, spiritual suffering as well. And now when I talk about these two especially, but there may be some overlap, I understand that. And all suffering has overlap because when you suffer physically, oftentimes you're going to be suffering uh, uh, spiritually and you're going to be suffering emotionally and they all overlap. I get it, but I'm breaking it up for the purposes of our understanding here. Chapter 27, verse 46. Listen to what Jesus says on the cross. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is a spiritual form of suffering that Jesus is expressing here. This is a surprising statement considering the fact he's God's son. He had experienced nothing in his life but God's good pleasure. God's smiling countenance upon him. He's God's eternal son and knew perfect fellowship with the Father through all eternity past. And yet now he's crying out in this spiritual warfare and spiritual suffering. He feels as though he's been abandoned by God. Do you ever experience times of spiritual suffering in your relationship to God? Could take the form of wondering if God is even involved in your life anymore, if He sees what's going on. You're wrestling with this. Does it ever feel like He's not present with you? Does it ever feel like He's left you all alone? Like He's not helping you? These could be times when the Word of God is kind of cold and lifeless and dull to you. And worship of any kind becomes the same way. It just feels as though God is distant. This, friends, is a form of spiritual suffering. And what did Jesus do in that moment as he felt these things? You know what he did? He used the Bible and prayed it back to God. 
Did you know that that verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus didn't just make that up on the spot. That was written hundreds of years ago in Psalm chapter 22. That Jesus was using Psalm 22, verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. He was using a psalm that he was familiar with to express to God what he was feeling in the moment. And maybe that's a clue to us on how God wants us to suffer That God has designed His Word in such a way, in such a perfect way, that no matter what kind of suffering you're enduring, you can find passages that would actually help you have the words to say to God in those moments. Do you understand that? That's not an accident, friends. That's the way God designed the Bible. When you're suffering, he's designed the Bible for you to have spirit-inspired words to pray to him. Do you ever do that in your, in your suffering? It's amazing how penetrating the word of God is. You can be going through something and read something in Scripture and say, man, this is describing exactly how I feel. So that you can use it now to pray it back to God and find that encouragement and strength you need. Use your Bible, friends, when you're battling. The problem with spiritual types of suffering and when we're, when we're struggling with our relationship with God or the feelings of it, the, what we often tend to do is just kind of close the Bible and put it away. Do you ever experience that? This isn't doing much for me. Okay, I'll try something else now. Or I just give up. When actually maybe what you need to do despite all your feelings in those moments is take passages of Scripture and go boldly to the throne of grace and you pour out your heart to God. You pour out your soul to Him. You find your hope and strength again in God. You say with the psalmist, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. God wants us to use His word like that. And Jesus suffered relationally. And Jesus suffered relationally His whole life, of course, and just the struggles of living as a human among other human beings, other fallen human beings. There's also always going to be relational forms of uh, suffering, but we've seen it all through Matthew's gospel and culminating in chapter 26 and 27. His ministry could be described as one continual relational conflict after another. He would preach something and he'd get opposition. People right up in his face opposing him. He would heal people and he would get people right up in his face opposing him. Relational conflict, debate, discussion at every turn. He knows what that feels like. Persecution. Rejection of his own people. Don't dismiss that. Jesus was a Jew and grew up among the Jews. 
And if Paul in Romans 9 can express such undying love for the Jewish people, how much more the perfect man Jesus, the perfect Jew, would feel for his own people, and yet he was rejected by his own. Even his own brothers rejected him until after the resurrection. And Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected and to be despised, to be hated unjustly. He knows what it is to have a good friend betray him. Have you ever had that pleasant experience? The betrayal of a good friend, one whom you had fellowship with and yet then turns against you. He knows what it is to be going through suffering and want his friends to help him. That's why when he went to the garden, he said, Peter, James, John, come with me and pray with me. He knows what it's like to be going through suffering and want somebody to help. And what do they do? They go to sleep. Worse yet, they abandon him in his hour of need and he's left all alone. He knows exactly what that feels like. He knows what it's like to be made fun of, publicly shamed, He knows what it's like to be abused both physically and verbally. Friends, these are all forms of relational suffering, things Jesus experienced as a human being. And remember, sometimes when I think, I think what we do when we read the Gospels, we tend to see Jesus as kind of a superhuman. Like a a souped up Marvel character. So where suffering for us is a big bigger deal for Jesus, he was able to just kind of breeze through this. But friends, understand that as a perfect human, he would have experienced the full brunt of suffering, including the relational suffering. The betrayal of Judas would have been more deeply impactful and hurtful to the soul and feelings of Jesus than it would have been to you. Because he loved Judas perfectly and continued to do so even after Judas betrayed him and he knew Judas was betraying him. Jesus experienced all these forms of suffering to a greater degree because of his perfection. And you know what's more, especially with this relational suffering, I mean, if you really think about it, what's amazing is that he responded so perfectly to it. He never became embittered. Or resentful or hateful. He didn't seek vengeance or retaliation. As a matter of fact, when he was being crucified, he prayed for the forgiveness of his crucifiers. He never built up walls of protection and shut out the toxic people in his life just because he's protecting himself now. Jesus never did any of these things. He experienced the full weight of the relational suffering that this world has to offer. He did that for us so that He is able to help you when you feel betrayed, when you feel alone, when you feel misunderstood, when you're hated, when you're maligned, when you're persecuted, when you're rejected, all those relational sufferings he knows, has experienced, and is able and willing to help you. So when you're going through it, then look to Jesus, the one who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, 
The one who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in our times of relational suffering. And then, of course, the physical suffering. Jesus knows what pain feels like. Jesus knows what relentless, excruciating pain feels like. I mean, think about just this scene. The beatings. The scourging itself, where they took a whip. They were famous for this. And they put on that whip, the Romans did, they put on that whip uh, shards of glass and metal and bone so that when it struck the person, it would rip their skin apart. And Jesus isn't unfamiliar with suffering indescribable physical suffering? Did you know when, when he was offered wine in chapter 27, verse 34, the wine was there to deaden the pain to an extent. He saw what it was and he rejected it because he knew he needed to feel the full force of the pain for us. Physical pain comes part and parcel of life in a fallen world, living in fallen bodies. Jesus experienced it and knows what it's like and will help you through your physical suffering. When you're physically suffering, Jesus will help you. You're going to need grace, aren't you? You're going to need strength. You're going to need joy. And Jesus can help you. He's able and he sympathizes with you. And sometimes you're going through something physically and people just can't relate. Like, I've never experienced what you're experiencing. Uh, I, can, I can say, brother, sister, I pray for you. I'm here for you, whatever I can do. If I can't relate, well, Jesus can. He can relate to you in your physical suffering. As you age, as Nancy Anderson used to say, uh, uh, getting older isn't for wimps. You're going to experience more and more physical suffering. Some of you... Some of you, not even as aging, just you've been called to experience such physical suffering in your lives. Know this, Jesus knows how you feel and will help you through it. And I know that all of you in here who know the Lord, especially for a long time and have physically suffered, you know exactly what I'm saying. You would testify, you would say, Jesus has helped me through my suffering. And then, of course, friends, there is death. Jesus experienced what it was to die as a human being. He knows what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows what it is to feel your body dying. He even knows what it was to know he was going to die and how he was going to die and the details of his death. Death is not something Jesus is unfamiliar with. Death is the most fearful and dreaded suffering experience a human can experience. It's really the thing, if you think about it, that's looming over the heads of every human being. They know their time to die will come one day. Jesus knows what it is, and the promise is that as you come to that point... You will not be alone because He will be with you. That He will lead you and walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. We should all be to the point where we're like, God, when it comes my time, 
Help me to be able to say with the psalmist, Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When it comes to you facing the suffering of death, know this, Jesus is with you, will help you, knows exactly how you feel. The suffering of Jesus for us was all-encompassing. That had its saving benefits, of course, as he suffered for our sins, but it also has this very experiential benefit for us as we suffer through sin. So let me just close with these few things here. I just want to say these quickly. These points of application. When you suffer, you have to remind yourself of the saving nature of Jesus' suffering in the gospel. In other words, you have to proclaim the good news of Jesus to yourself. You have to remember when you're suffering that Jesus died in a saving way. He suffered in a saving way, paying the penalty of your sin. His suffering was for your sin. He was absorbing the wrath of God for you. And because he did this, you are promised God's love and presence with you forever. This is good news in suffering because we can know our suffering is a result of God's love for us and not His wrath against us. Don't ever be tempted to think in your suffering, God is against me. Not if you're in Christ. God is for you. So no matter what kind of suffering you're going through, because of what Jesus has done, you're in this right relationship with God. You stand before Him under grace and in peace with God. The cross accomplished what it was to accomplish, and it was to bring reconciliation for the people of God to their God. That's good news in suffering. Secondly, just you need to remind yourself when you're suffering that anything you endure now is only temporary because of Jesus' sufferings for you. In other words, the way to look at it is this, and I don't want to sound trite here, but you have to preach this stuff to you because this is what Paul does and the other writers do. That whatever you're suffering, you're saying to yourself, this is not my eternal suffering. I will not experience this forever. Now the Bible is clear that those who reject Christ, there's experience of eternal suffering. That's horrible. But those who are in Christ, no matter what you suffer, this is not your eternity. Do you understand? He bore that eternal suffering for you. Paul used to think this way. 2 Corinthians 4, he said, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not your forever suffering. Number three, when you suffer, remind yourself that Jesus taught us that the path of discipleship is a path of suffering so that you're understanding this is supposed to happen, you see. So you're not caught off guard thinking some strange thing is happening to you. This is what's supposed to happen. This is the path of suffering. Jesus said we would walk. Fourthly, when you suffer then, you know God's design for you in the suffering is to make you like Jesus. God doesn't waste suffering. God will never waste your suffering. He didn't waste the suffering of Jesus. It accomplished what it purposed to accomplish. And he isn't going to suffer, waste your suffering either. It's for your growth and grace and discipleship. You have to preach these truths to yourself so you don't forget. James 1, 2-4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This is what God does for us in suffering. You know the gospel helps us make sense of it. The world as it suffers, it has no way, no grid through which to see it. They, it doesn't, they, they, they can't make sense of it, but in the gospel now it makes sense. And it comes not from a mean or cruel God, but a very good God who loves us. Number five, when you suffer, you must see it as an opportunity to glorify God. Do you know this was Jesus' heart? Before he went to the cross, he realized it was the time, his hour in the Gospel of John. My hour to suffer has come. And he said this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. What a prayer. Glorify your name, Father, in and through the suffering you've called me to do. And finally, friends, know this. When you suffer, remind yourselves over and over that Jesus is with you. I love how the Gospel of Matthew ends. The very last words. Behold, I, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, I am with you always, all the days to the end of the age. Jesus told his disciples in that upper room, I'm not going to leave you. I will come to you again. I will not leave you as orphans. The Father and I will come and make our home with you through the Spirit. Friends, what you need to know in your times of suffering is that God is with you. I was in the hospital for about a week many years ago um, and was having some problems. They couldn't figure out what it was. It was after a couple months really of physical, inexplicable suffering and finally ended up in the hospital because I had fluid building up around my heart. And One of the elders of our church came to visit me and he gave me an index card in that time. And on it were written the words from Isaiah 41. It says, You, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now why would this more mature believer Bring this verse to me. Except that he himself had suffered and knows that what suffering people want to know more than anything is that God is with them and may not always deliver them immediately from the suffering, but he will stay with them. He will uphold them. He will strengthen them. And he will help them all according to his righteous and sovereign hand that is limitless in power. Friends, when you suffer, and we all will be called to suffering of various kinds, know that the Lord is with you. Go to him for the help and strength and grace you need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. Certainly is good news for us to know that we have this relationship with you, that you will never leave us or forsake us. I pray for those in this room who are suffering or trying to help others through suffering. 
Give grace and help and strength and wisdom. And God, we trust you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen.